Welcome to the 229th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. What if you had a crop you could plant in the fall, graze the next spring, harvest grain from later that growing season, and graze again in the fall? And what if such a cycle could be carried on for several years? What you would have is a plant that produces food and economic benefits on a near-term annual basis while providing the long-term benefits of perennial plant systems, such as deep roots that build soil organic matter and protect the land 365 days a year. Such a production scenario piqued farmer Carmen Fernholz's interest in 2011, when University of Minnesota scientist Dr. Don Wise contacted him about planting a test plot of intermediate wheatgrass, a perennial grass that is genetically related to common wheat. Intermediate wheatgrass was first introduced to the United States in 1907 as a forage, And in recent decades, groups like the Rodell Institute and the Land Institute have been experimenting with it to develop a grain and forage crop that would produce multiple economic and environmental benefits without having to be replanted year after year. Eventually, the Land Institute developed a type of intermediate wheatgrass with the trademark name of Kernza. In recent years, the University of Minnesota has been working with Kernza germplasm to develop lines that will do well in the climate and soil conditions found in the upper Midwest. Fernholtz, who farms with his wife Sally near Madison in western Minnesota, has long been known for his willingness to experiment with various production techniques. For example, they first became certified organic way back in 1975. So, in 2011, they planted two acres of Kernza, and along with other farmers in the state, have been experimenting with it. This research on Kernza is being coordinated by the Forever Green Initiative, a U of M program that's working to develop a variety of crops that can provide an alternative to annual plantings of corn and soybeans. Besides Kernza, Forever Green is working with Pennycress and Winter Camelina. Oil seeds, which can be grown alongside soybeans, is a kind of relay companion crop. The idea is to create a stable of continuous living cover crops that cover the land year-round, generating economic benefits, protecting water and soil, and building carbon. By the way, Kernza, like the grasses it's related to, extends its roots several feet into the ground. Forever Green, which the Land Stewardship Project has helped obtain Minnesota state legislative funding for, is not only studying how to improve the agronomic viability of crops like Kernza, researchers are also examining closely how to develop commercial markets for these alternative crops. After all, farmers need an economic incentive to try something new and stick with it. In fact, food companies like General Mills and craft brewers like Bang Brewery have been making products with Kernza grain. The Birchwood Cafe in Minneapolis has even been baking with Kernza flour. All of that research has paid off. I recently attended a summer field day on the Fernholz farm where a thriving 15-acre stand of Kernza planted last fall was on full display. Carmen explained that the grain kernels produced by this stand are double the size of what was produced on his farm back in 2011. Turns out this stand represents the first line of this type of wheatgrass that's been developed here in Minnesota. Forever Green researchers hope it will be the first of many varieties coming down the pipe in coming years. This stand of Kernza represents the good that can come from publicly funded research. Plant breeders are excited that over the years they've been able to produce shorter plants that have bigger grain kernels, making them at once more resilient in the face of bad weather as well as more productive. But Kernza and the other plant systems being studied by Forever Green also represent a slight change in attitude on the part of policymakers. By helping fund this research, members of the Minnesota legislature are acknowledging that the future of agriculture does not need to be completely wedded to ever-increasing corn and soybean production. After the field day, I sat down with Carmen Fernholtz and U of M Kernza researcher Dr. Jake Youngers. 
They provided some background on how far we've come with Kernza Research in the Upper Midwest and then talked about the exciting possibilities this continuous living cover can offer farmers, rural economies, and the environment. We just had a really great field day here on Kernza and saw a 15-acre field that you've got uh, growing here. Kind of exciting from what I understand, this is the first uh, year that a U of M Kernza variety is being grown. Uh, this is not even named yet. The U of M has been doing research in this area for several years. And I was wondering if, Jake, you could give me a little background on that research. When the U of M got started doing this, how we kind of got to this point here uh, where we're at. The University of Minnesota started doing research on Kernza in 2011. That's when the breeding program started. So the plant breeders at the University of Minnesota got material from the Land Institute the Land Institute had been working on breeding Kernza since about 1999. So we initiated our own program up here in the north, uh, whereas Land Institute's down in Salina, Kansas, and started developing populations of Kernza suitable for this climate. And then in 2014, we started doing research on how to grow this new crop. And that's when I started working with Carmen here. Uh, so we have this agronomics research program as well as an uh, environmental impacts program. We're, we need to measure and quantify what the environmental benefits might be of this perennial grain crop. And lastly, the University of Minnesota also does food science research. So they're figuring out how to use this seed, this grain from a new crop, in different food products. Well, one thing, Carmen, you mentioned, so you got started in 2011. You were approached, I think, by Dr. Don Wise about this. What got you interested? You're kind of a pioneer in organic agriculture. You've been doing it since the mid-70s. But what, what got you interested in this particular uh, type of crop? I think what got me interested, first of all, I've had a, what I'd call a tremendous working relationship with the university, uh, and it goes back way to the mid-1980s. And I also built a... a, a great working relationship with Dr. Wise. Uh, Don, as I always call him, uh, was always uh, tossing things at me and saying, hey, you want to try this, you want to do this, and want to do that, and, and, and knowing him as a good friend as well, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try this. But the other thing I was looking at is, hey, if we can produce a revenue-generating perennial grain on our farms, and, and being sensitized, as many of us are, to soil health and all of these concepts, let's do it. Let's move forward on it. And it, to me, I use a cliche, it was a no-brainer, really, to begin with. So it, it was something I just knew I wanted to do. Um, and you had mentioned that that first year, you didn't even know how to harvest it. And, you, you <laughs> and it was, you know, looking pretty rough, which makes sense. But it kind of, it's pretty satisfying to see it today, that was a really good stand. I think Jim Anderson, the wheat breeder, says one of the best stands he's seen, ever seen. When I planted that seed the first year, it was I could hardly see it. It was so small. And when I got the seed last fall from Jake and took a husk off it, it was double in size. Yeah. And I said, that's what they did in six or seven years. That tells me we're moving quickly. The history of the field, uh, last year, 2018, it was planted into spring wheat. The year before, it was soybeans, the year before that it was corn, and then the two years before that it was alfalfa. And then what we did after we took the wheat off last August, we uh, injected about 2,000 gallons of hog manure on it, uh, did the light uh, tillage on it, and then uh, 
had the NRCS people come out and plant the Kernza for us. So that's a quick background on, on the field itself. Jake, looks like we've had some advances in areas such as reducing lodging and getting that to be a shorter plant, that kind of thing. I think that's really, a lot of people don't, you know, when people think about on-farm research or research in general and they say, well, we're making improvements, they don't think specifically what you're looking at. And so what, what is, are some of the things that you are looking at and maybe what some of the advances you, you guys have been able to do in the last couple of years? Well, I'll give you an example of a project that I worked on with Carmen. It was an on-farm project. So Carmen was always asking, well, when should we be harvesting this and how should we be harvesting it? Mm -hmm. We could either swath it and harvest the grain out of windrows or direct combine it. Well, we really didn't know which one yielded more grain. Um, so together we designed an experiment and went out and uh, windrowed at different times throughout the grain drying period. Mm -hmm. And then I collected samples to kind of simulate a direct combining. There we could figure out, all right, when is, what's too early, what's too late? Uh, which has all been built into this new prescription that we're trying to come up with for managing Kernza. I know one of the, you said this is a basically literally a shorter variety than what you'd started out with. Why is that important? Why would that be an important uh, characteristic to have? Yeah, the wilder types of intermediate wheatgrass or Kernza are rather tall. And when you start uh, breeding these, these new types with larger seeds, those tall plants can't support those seeds so they fall over and they lodge. And that makes for a nightmare for harvesting. It can be really difficult to pick up the grain. And then it also leads to uh, issues with degradation of the grain if it's lying down lodged. So the plant breeders have been uh, breeding shorter uh, stand height. That's one of the major priorities. Lo and behold, we have seen a lot less lodging with those shorter uh, grain types. I think one thing uh, Jim Anderson had mentioned that this is a little bit of the honeymoon period with research in that we're seeing, it's kind of exciting, we're seeing a lot of advances kind of year by year. Yeah, most definitely. Um, seed size is a, a very notable one. The, the seeds have been increasing in size. Um, another big characteristic we're looking for is this free threshing. So when we combine the grain, we want it to come right out of those hulls. Uh, naturally, it doesn't. The hulls stick onto the seed. But... Um, as we continue the breeding progress, more and more of that seed comes out threshed in the combine. You had mentioned that intermediate wheatgrass had been, which is what Kernza is, it's a type of intermediate wheatgrass, had been introduced into this country in the early part of the 20th century, I think, as an animal forage. Is that, is that correct? So that's really exciting because you were talking about maybe this idea of dual purpose. Maybe give an example of how maybe we could set it up as a dual purpose crop with livestock as a livestock forage and then harvesting the grain kind of thing? What, what would be a typical situation? A grower who has cattle could plant the intermediate wheatgrass or Kernza in the fall, and then that first spring, the grower could have that field grazed by the cattle. Hmm. As long as they do it early in the growing season before the stems begin to elongate. Mm -hmm. That same year, even after grazing, the grower could still get a grain harvest, which occurs in about mid-August. And after all of the straw is removed, after grain harvest, the plant continues to grow throughout the fall, which uh, then provides another opportunity for grazing. So there could be a, potentially four sources of revenue, of spring grazing, grain harvest, straw removal, and a fall grazing in one season with this new Kernza. Wow. I mean, I wanted to, kind of jumping off on that, Carmen, I mean, you... 
have a long history of, of working with alternative crops and working with the U on research. And so it kind of makes sense that you worked on this, but d looking into the future, and I know you're looking into passing this farm on, but how do you see, do, do you see something like this fitting into uh, an operation like this or in what way could, it, could something like this work with you beyond just the experimental stage? Definitely, uh, we're looking on into the future, and as I mentioned uh, several times today, I have a young farmer that's going to be taking over and uh, running the operation. And, and for years, I've always been said, uh, have been saying that the missing piece that I've got on this organic farm is livestock. Mm. And so uh, once Luke uh, got connected with me and we knew where our future was going, almost simultaneously, we both said, Let's figure out how we can get livestock into the system. Quick sidebar, two weeks ago, both Luke and I signed equip contracts to start doing the fencing and whatever it's going to take. So uh, we're moving there. But when I started uh, hearing about the potential of grazing as well, I said, this is almost going to be a win-win-win, as, as Jake uh, alluded to earlier. And so uh, we're already thinking about how we can uh, begin to incorporate Kernza into the grazing aspect that we're introducing. One of the last pieces we did at the field day is we did a rain simulation thing, and then you showed some interesting charts showing how Kernza can really help improve water quality by reducing nitrate runoff, um, kind of adding to that tilth of that soil. Um, and it sounds like we're kind of going beyond just the the experimental stage with that, but there's been some work here in Minnesota on some municipalities have been planting some Kernza, it sounds like, to improve their... Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and maybe talk a little bit about what are the... I know it has an extremely deep root system. You said that you've been able to go down three and a half feet, and that was as far as you could dig down. You know it went deeper, so that just having that root system is valuable. What, what, why does that help with water quality? What's the connection between that... I guess, root system and that continuous living cover and water quality. So one of the major concerns that uh, we're trying to overcome here with water quality is nitrate leaching to groundwater. Um, so this is a groundwater specific issue and that's because many rural communities across Minnesota rely on groundwater for their drinking water. Uh, more and more communities are seeing the levels of nitrate exceed EPA's safe drinking limit, 10 parts per million. So it costs a lot of money to clean the water that's already been contaminated. Uh, an alternative approach here is to prevent the issue from happening in the first place, and that's by making changes on the landscape. So communities are now testing that. So uh, the city of Chatfield has taken some of their corn land that they typically rent out out of production and have planted it into Kernza, and we're monitoring those fields and the water uh, beneath those fields. And the reason that we think Kernza can improve water quality, groundwater quality, is because one, it has a deep dense root system, like you said, so it utilizes a lot of water, but also it's really efficient at capturing any nitrogen that's applied to it for fertilization. So it's really efficient at using that nitrogen to produce yield and prevent nitrate leaching. Somebody brought up, I don't know if it was you, Carmen, or somebody brought up this idea that, boy, what a perfect crop to tra for transitioning into organics. Because it, it sounds like it has a kind of a three-year cycle where it, it really thrives and then it starts to, to, to reduce in production a little bit and maybe it's time to change up a little bit. Well, three years is that transition period. Uh, is it, that's really interesting. I, I, I was excited to, to think about that as well, especially when uh, we look at what I was able to this year already 
get as far as a stand that outcompetes the weeds. And so if we can do that in year one of transition, we've taken a big headache away from the would-be transitioning farmer. And uh, at the end of three years, even if the yield is dropping back, we've already got that uh, acreage ready for organic production. And so I, I just see great opportunity that way as well. Somebody had said this, that a lot of this is you guys are kind of making the road as you walk it in a way because literally this is the first perennial grain system in the world, or it's the only one being developed in the world. How exciting is that as a farmer and as a researcher? I know you're, uh, you just got a position at the U of M and, and have been doing this PhD work for several years, but how exciting is that as a farmer and a researcher to be involved with something that is, you know, we don't want to get over-promised, but boy, it is showing a lot of potential and is, could really be a game-changer for agriculture. Well, I would just say, you know, after farming for over 40 years, it's only in the last five to six to seven years that I've really become sensitized to tillage. And I alluded to it earlier today several times. And I think that's also what sort of, sort of excited me when Don Wise first came to me. I says, you mean we can start minimizing this tillage thing with the soil? And so that's what has excited me. And, and we have and will continue to work towards less and less tillage. It's always a big challenge in organic systems because of the weed management issue, and we depend on tillage for that. But if we can do the things like Kernza and really, through a natural system, suppress our weed seed banks, then we have a much greater opportunity to eliminate any of this tillage that we are sort of dependent upon now. Yeah, and just as a researcher, Jake, I mean, is, this must be pretty exciting. Oh, it's extremely exciting to think about developing the world's first commercially viable perennial grain crop is extremely exciting. Um, but what's even more exciting is coming to field days like this and being able to showcase the research and to see the general public and farmers as excited as we are about it and then uh, sharing information and perspectives about it and all in an effort to increase continuous living cover on the landscape. For more information on the Forever Green Initiative's research on Kernza and other crops, see www.forevergreen.umn.edu. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member... Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.